The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Hey, it's great to be back with you. If you're uh, new to King's Cross and don't meet, know me, I'm like Jacob's old uncle who uh, loves, uh, loves on him and uh, loves you guys, and it's so good to be with you on this January morning. And uh, uh, recently, I, well, no, it's been a year now, um, I'm, I'm a part-time pastor, I'm, I'm a lead pastor, we have a full-time pastor, but, uh, and River Grace is doing really well, but I spend, I spend three quarters of my time working with Acts 29, helping our networks around the globe plant uh, rural churches, and uh, so last week I got back from Brazil, where it was at the heights where I was in the arid cactusy places, uh, it was 96 degrees, so um, it's, uh, it's fun adjusting. And uh, strategically, I have to go to Guatemala in January, where I hear it's warm in January. Anyway, uh, River Grace extends their love and greetings from Concord and uh, would ask you to pray for um, two couples who are moving to New Hampshire to help plant a church in Henniker. Um, I don't know if, you're, if they're on your radar, but before I pray, I want to put them on your radar. Um, Elliot and... Olivia DeLorme, and they've got two little ones and a third one on their way in March, and then also uh, Andrew and Lida Sheard, and they've got a little one and another little one on the way in May, and they're, they're finishing up at um, Bethlehem Seminary in uh, Minneapolis, and we're moving to uh, Henniker, and over the course of the next two years, helping us plant a church out there. Uh, there are 60 towns in New Hampshire that have no gospel witness. And uh, that seems a little overwhelming. I'm talking about towns of a thousand or more. There are 231 municipalities and 60 have no gospel witness. So Henniker is one of them. We have some people from Henniker. Uh, it's near Concord. And so through prayer and God's grace, uh, the Sheards and DeLorms are moving here um, and going to get jobs and uh, try to do some fundraising. But pray for them as um, we believe that as the text we read this morning uh, said that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that includes every little village and town and hamlet in New Hampshire. Anyway, so thank you for praying for the Delorms and the Sheards. Okay, we're in Isaiah chapter 53. And I, I don't know if you know this, but the River of Grace and King's Cross, we, we do the same sermons. Um, and so we're in the same Advent series together. And uh, last week we looked at joy. This week we're looking at love from this passage. I'm going to pray one more time and uh, ask Jesus to teach us. Uh, Lord, thank you that we get to open your book. Thank you that you're in the room. Thank you that you have words for us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your words are life and food and direction and strength and correction Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would say things to us that no man could say. And we ask that, th that we would leave here strengthened in our resolve to love Jesus together. So help us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, we looked at a text which I think is probably the most beautiful description of the birth of Christ from, from Isaiah chapter 9, where it says, For unto you, or the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of darkness, on them a light has shone. And then it says, for to you, for unto you a child is born, for unto you a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. I mean, think about that, a perfect government run by Jesus. How beautiful is that gonna be? 
I think that text is probably the most beautiful text when it comes to describing the birth of Christ. The text this morning is probably the most, to me, one of the most weighty texts because it describes what his love looks like. And uh, so as much as last week was on joy, which is really a good feeling in the soul based upon who Jesus is, today we're looking at an astonishing love and what that means to us. Um, So we're in in Isaiah chapter 53, and I just want to start by backing up a a few verses into 52, because it says in in chapter 52, in, in verse 13 and 14, behold, my servant shall act wisely. That servant is talking about Jesus. He shall act wisely, and he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. And that idea that, that this Jesus would come, this predictive uh, word from Isaiah that a Christ would come and people would be astonished at him. But the next lines kind of blow your mind because rather than talking about what we might expect for love, like hugs and chocolates and um, you know, Sharon, my wife, you know, taking her places, she loves to travel. And so um, you know, what we might expect of love, it's the very next words to say of this, this astonishing love of the Messiah. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that, the child of mankind. So we're going to look at this idea, the astonishing love of Jesus coming to us. And then we'll end by asking, so how do we respond to that? Okay, so I, by the way, no slides, um, long story, but I love slides, but no slides, sorry. Uh, so the big thought is, what, what does this astonishing love of Jesus look like, and how do we respond to it? All right? So in verse, chapter 53, verse 1, it starts this way. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, start, stop right there for for a moment, because Isaiah is saying, this is unbelievable. Nobody's going to believe what I say about Jesus. This is unbelievable. And then he says, about, he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And when I think of the arm of the Lord, I think of biceps. I don't have any, well, I have little ones, but like today, you know some football player is going to make a touchdown and he's going to do this, you know, and he's got biceps and tricep bigger than my waist. And you think that is strong. But, but what is astonishing about Jesus and what is, is unbelievable, but the unbelievable nature of his strength towards us. And so, so this sort of ramps us up with, to me, a, a measure of excitement, except it's, it's really shocking, or I'm using the word astonishing because from verse chapter 52, it talks about this astonishing one. And I'll maybe just put a little warning out here. I'm going to talk about the love of Christ and his coming to us. But here's a warning. The warning is, are you bored with the love of Jesus? Because as soon as you mention the love of God, um, it, it's almost like you, you can fall into this um, mystical, wishful, dreamy state about love. Now, that, that's okay, but the love that we are going to plow into here is, is far more... Rug, uh, I use a word from my teenage years, rugged. We used to use that word a lot. Um, it, it's, it's, it's astonishing and strong 
and shocking. And so, so just beware. Don't be bored with the love of Christ. This passage documents how Jesus' incarnation and sacrifice is far from boring. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says in Isaiah verses 2 and 3, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So, why is the love of Jesus coming and being born among us, this incarnate? Why is it so astonishing? The first thing is that he left the majestic to become the ordinary. He left the majestic to become the ordinary. He moved into the dirty and despised places and became dirty and despised himself. Here's a feedback question. How many of you like to have your garbage picked up? Okay, I, I live in a, a little village of Chichester. We don't have garbage. Well, I guess you could pay for it, but we have to take our garbage to the dump. But if you live in the city and where we lived prior in Pennsylvania, we had a garbage service that came by every week and picked up our garbage. And we like to have our garbage take away, taken away. Now, what if you discovered that this week the new guy who rides on the back of the truck or drives the truck, the new garbage guy, was Tom Brady? That, that the, 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 the world-renowned quarterback left the majesty of being goat and became your garbage collector. That would be, like, crazy, crazy weird, crazy astonishing. Or let's say you like to go eat at the Puritan restaurant over here, and, uh, and I mean, here's another. Don't, how many of you like clean dishes when you eat at a restaurant? Yes, yes, that's like... That's, that's like, we like that. I wonder if you discovered that if you went over there for dinner today, in the dish pit, that's what we used to call it, the dish room. Well, I, so many of us started out washing dishes for a living. wonder if you discovered that one of the dish clean washers was Oprah Winfrey. That Oprah left her billions of dollars to wash dishes. That would be stunning and shocking and weird people of renown and fame becoming normal and unremarkable, to step down from a place of majesty and fame and, 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 and wealth and to become ordinary, and yet that's what Jesus did. Now, he didn't just do it just because he was weird, but there was a purpose behind it. And it goes on to say here, he left the majestic to become the ordinary to enter our desolate lives. Look what it says there in verse uh, three. He was like a young plant root out, rooted out of dry ground, or roots out of dry ground. He left a place of no limits, no need, no want, no longing for a place of desolation. He grew up in Nazareth, the arid mountainous region or hilly region uh, just, just uh, west of Galilee. He grew up there where there was, not, there was no certain that the harvest would come and there would be plenty of food. He didn't, he, there, was, there was probably uh, no real medical facility. It was not on the route to anywhere. He grew up in a desolate place. He entered the world of need and he walked among the suffering. Now think about that. 
I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have need? How many of us have, we struggle and suffer? The astonishing love of Jesus is that he left the majestic to become the ordinary, to walk with us in our place of suffering. But not just to walk with us and understand that, but he actually became unattractive. This is, this is, this is, this goes against everything I learned in Sunday school because Jesus was always this handsome dude that, you know, he always looked together. But it says in the scripture, he had no form or majesty, no beauty that we should desire him. I travel a lot with my three-quarter time job and I get on planes a lot and uh, there's a group of people that are in first class. And most of them act like they're in first class. They act like they belong there. And often you have to walk right past them as they're getting served their champagne and chocolates. I once got bumped up to first class, not accidentally. And as soon as I sat down, a lady came by with a basket of chocolate. So I'm a, a good little New England boy. My dad was a pastor. My mom was a hand-slapping teacher. You know, you only, So I took one chocolate. And the stewardess said to me, Sonny, you're in first class. Take as many as you want. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, I'm typically back there in the economy class, you know, and often because I don't pay the money to actually pick a seat, you're in the middle row of the economy class and often shoved all the way back there towards the, uh, the galley and the bathrooms. Um, there are people who get on the plane and they look attractive, they look first class, they look like they belong there, and then there's Jesus who sits in economy in a middle seat toward the back of the plane. Jesus wasn't first class. Nazareth's people were not known to fly first class. And in, in Jesus' astonishing love is he left all of that, not just to enter our desolate lives and become unattractive, but look what it says there. And he became acquainted with grief. What was it like for Jesus to become acquainted with grief? He knew the pain of sorrow, and then it was talk about rejection and shame. I've often thought about this because the Bible gives no inkling, no ink to this. But what was it like for Jesus to bury his earthly father, Joseph? The man who had sheltered his mom and him from ridicule. The man who taught Jesus a livelihood. The man who loved his mother and then he died. What was that like? What was it like to be scorned by neighbors for being so good, that perfect child, literally? What was it like to know that, that you were being called to be a voice of God and ultimately the Messiah of God? What was it like to do the Father's will and be ridiculed for it? Now think about this, Christian. To do the Father's will and to be ridiculed for it? Is that not a normal course for the follower of Jesus? So Jesus left the ordinary, I mean, left the majestic to become the ordinary. He knew desolation. He knew what it was to be unattractive. He knew what it was like to be rejected. He knew what it was like to experience grief and sorrow. He knew shame. And he entered this for us. He entered our world leaving the majestic to know what it's like to be ordinary people in a little ordinary place like Manchester, New Hampshire. But it goes on from there. 
This love is astonishing, not just because he left the majestic for the ordinary, but he left the safe to be immersed in suffering. Look at verses 4 through 9. Because he embraces our pain for our healing, and he bears our guilt for our forgiveness. So he left the safe to be immersed in the suffering. Look what it says in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 6 is kind of like, like kind of the culmination right in the center. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. What is this astonishing love that Jesus would leave the security of being God and all that that meant to live among us, to suffer for us, leaving the safe to be immersed in the suffering? We are people of the cross, and the cross that Christ was crucified on, probably not on a hill, by the way, having been to Jerusalem, fortunately, back in 2015, the, probably the place he was crucified, the place of the skull was, was just kind of a, a bottom of a cliff location outside one of the, the uh, main thoroughfares leading out of Jerusalem. Not a, not a high and lofty place, but a, a hidden place, a place of shame. And when people were crucified, there was certainly no admiration or applause. I have to say, we had five children. I remember the last Christmas, um, and, and we live in Chichester, and so uh, Chichester is a, a K through eighth grade school with about 200 students in a small school. And, and I remember the last Christmas pageant we had to go to, and I leaned over to my wife after five kids and so many, so many schools, and I said, I am so glad this is over. You still applaud, and they're still cute, and it's really quite good, and it's all, I mean, you, you, you really do cherish those things, but they get old. And then you go to beautiful things. My wife every year sings in the, uh, the Handel's Messiah and Concord, and uh, just this past a week ago tonight, they had their performance, and uh, the Walker Trust Fund hires all these really professional, the orchestra and the, and the soloists, but the choir of 68 voices are all volunteer. And it is three hours of just, I call it my annual soul bath, because it's just all scripture. Handel was just how God used him to put all that scripture into this story. And we, at the end, just the applause. But we esteem Jesus stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He didn't, was not applauded for that. He was, his estimated... The estimated sense of his worth was he's an outcast. He's not one of us. He's not. And this is because he left the safe place of heaven to come to suffer for us at the hand of God, verse 4. 
He was smitten of God. One thing we learn about the love of God is that often the will of God in, in, includes things that we would prefer not. It includes suffering. What happens when the will of God includes suffering so that our Savior would suffer for us? Um, last, in, in, in April, I was able to go visit um, Africa for the first time. I was in Kenya and Malawi and then to Mozambique. In Mozambique, we went to visit um, a missionary couple who are way, 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 way out in the... Um, countryside. It was six hours from the closest place they could buy toilet paper. Give that, give you that an idea of where they were. Working among the um, Monica people, translate, first of all, they had to learn the language and put it into written form, never put it put, put into written form, translate the scriptures into their language, teach literacy because they didn't know how to read, and then organize Bible studies. And now after 15 years, there's this church that's growing and thriving among the Monica people, which are primarily Muslim people. And now uh, Elon and Philip Henderson are home getting their oldest daughter into college and Elon's been diagnosed with breast cancer. The will of God. Jesus endured suffering because at the hand of God for his will and for our benefit, verse five. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Uh, if, you, if you're familiar at all with grammatical structure, in there, there are multiple, um, let's see, second person plural pronouns for our sins, all we like sheep, or uh, I'm sorry, um, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was, was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All of this suffering at the hand of God for his, for his purposes, for his will, was about for our benefit. There's a young couple down in Dallas, Texas. They're, they're, she's from Manchester. He's on staff, was at the Village Church, and now they've uh, spun off one of their campuses, and he's on staff over the small groups, pastor of small groups at, uh, I think it's called Northway Church, which ironically, the first week they went solo from the mother church village church spun them off about 700 people they had a building and everything that very week a tornado came through destroyed their building not everything's better in texas and uh, this couple uh, jonathan and caitlin woodleaf she again from manchester um, he came down with lupus and his kidneys were terribly affected and ironically his wife became a match it was a match and uh, there's this lovely story of her going into surgery to have a kidney removed so that it could be translated into her husband and, and some of the suffering that was included in that. It's a small picture of how Jesus came so that his righteousness could be transplanted into us. And all of this suffering, that Jesus left the security and safety of heaven, all this suffering was for willful, wandering rebels. That's us. Look what it says there, that verse, verse 6. All we, every single one of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. And then there's this, this, is, this is a emphatic statement. We have all turned. Every one of us, we've all turned to our own way. Born selfish, wrestled with selfishness. We have turned away from the Lord to our own way. And on him was laid the iniquity of us all. 
Romans 5, 7, and 8 say, it says this. For one would, would scarcely die for a righteous person. In other words, uh, you know, there's good people you might die for. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But verse 8 of, of Romans 5 says, But God showed his love for us in that why we were, we, we were still sinners. We were willful and wandering and rebellious while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. This astonishing love of Jesus is not that he just left the uh, majestic for the ordinary and left the suffering, uh, left the safety, the, safe, the safety of heaven and the security of heaven for the suffering, but he did it without complaint. I was at a birthday party yesterday and there were a couple business guys there and we were, sh we were trading stories of travel. And it became, who could tell the worst airplane story? Because we, we are professional complainers. We, we, we like to make notorious those horrible events. And yet Jesus, who, who, who would experience the most horrendous event of any human and on the face of the earth, did it without a word of complaint. To the extreme and utter desolation of death, stricken for the transgressions of his people, buried, it says buried with a rich man, which is ironic. It's a prophetic uh, picture of being buried in Joseph's tomb. Uh, is it Joseph's tomb? The, the garden tomb there with, uh, was it Joseph? Not Joseph. Was it Joseph? I don't know. Look it up. It's in the New Testament. A borrowed tomb of a wealthy man. Jesus was totally innocent. He had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Now, here's the gospel. And we'll end with one more point in a moment. But here's the gospel. That Jesus would leave all the glory, all the security, all the benefits of being the eternal son of God and enter into our suffering for us. That we might have a different identity. Tim Keller tells this great story. Uh, not a story. He's, he's, he was uh, referring to the 17th century Spanish classic, the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of uh, La Mancha. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a famous, if you don't, it's a, also a ballet. Um, and in this story, you get this guy who refuses to live in the reality of now. He goes crazy because he starts reading all these books of chivalry and, and, and the ideal world where everybody is being treated with, with honor and respect. And he changes his name, and he really kind of goes crazy, uh, to uh, Alonzo Chiancino, whatever it is. He renames, no, I'm sorry, that's his name. He renames himself Don Chianti, uh, Chianti, uh, and he renames himself. But here's the, here's what I'm getting at. In one of the scenes, because remember he, he refuses to live in the reality, and he in his sort of warped thinking, he wants to live in the ideal. So he enters an inn, and in the inn there's a number of prostitutes. But he insists that they they be treated and called ladies of the court, noble women. Well, that's sort of what Jesus has done. He's, he's refused to accept the reality of our condemned condition. And he's entered into the place where we are. And rather than calling us who we really are, lost sheep living selfishly on our own, because of his gospel, he comes to us and he renames us children of God. Why is this love so astonishing? Because Jesus left all the majestic, become, move into the ordinary, 
and he left the safety of all that was glorious to among, live among us and suffer for us. And he did it, trust the last point here in verses 10 through 12, is that he trusted the Father and saw the outcome. He looked past the anguish and saw our right standing in God's place. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. Verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush it. That is like one of the most heavy words, sentences in the Bible. It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. Why? He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Look at that next line. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. What that means is this righteous servant is going to make sure that we who are like in um, Don Quixote's inn scene there, we were vile and living for ourselves and corrupt. He renames us. He makes us righteous, as it says there, to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the astonishing love of Christ, that he trusted the Father, and he saw the outcome of his people. He trusted his father. And he sees the outcome of those who trust in him. Verse 11, he shall see and be satisfied. In the midst of all that, Jesus' silent suffering, he trusted the father and saw the outcome. Which is actually our call to, to living holy lives doing the Father's will, trusting what he says, knowing that the outcome will be good. You see, when we trust the will of the Father, which the Lord taught us to pray, right? The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, that line there, your will, thy will be done. Okay, we want your will in my life to be done, even if it includes suffering for my friend Elon Henderson, uh, you know, um, breast cancer, age of 40, missionaries for 15 years in the outback of, of Mozambique, if, if I can trust that the outcome of this is your glory, and in Jesus we see that, that he suffered for our sins and bore our iniquities so that the outcome would be we would be righteous in the Father's eyes. The anguish of Jesus was satisfied because he saw you and me redeemed and worshiping his Father which is the, the son's desire is that the father would be glorified. And even now, today, what is it? December 8th, he intercedes for us to the father on our behalf. He intercedes praying for you and me by name that we would continue trusting the love of God. And so this astonishing love of, of, of Christ that was born to us is astonishing because he trusted the Father for the outcome. This is the Christmas story, this astonishing love of Christ, that Christ would trust the Father and leave the majesty of, of heaven 
and entering the ordinary of our world, lead the security of being the eternal Son of God to become the suffering servant, to trust the Father, knowing he, and seeing the outcome, which was your righteous salvation, that Christ's righteousness would make you right in the Father's eyes. This is astounding. So four responses to this. I said we would look at what does astonishing love look like? It's from Isaiah 53. So we looked at those four, three things. But how do we respond to this? What is our response? Well, first of all, you might need to confess your boredom with the love of Christ. You've been going your own way. You're checking the religious boxes, but you're bored with the love of Christ. It's a good thing to repent. Repentance is a normal activity of the follower of Jesus. Maybe you just need to repent and say, Jesus, I have not been enamored and astonished by your love. And maybe this text this morning, the Holy Spirit wants you just to, to, that would be your response, to confess and repent of your boredom with the love of Christ. A second possible response, be comforted by the love of Christ. He is coming to your ordinary and difficult world. And your suffering and your struggle is not, it's not foreign to him. And he's with you in it. And so you can be comforted by the love of Christ. And you can respond. This is the third. So in that, in being comforted by this, as that God has a plan for it. He has a will. And sometimes we can see its outcome. Sometimes we can't, but we can trust him in it. So be comforted by the love of God. The third is to respond to the saving love of God. The very next chapter, the first word is sing. Part of singing is it lets loose something within us. There's an emotional tie that God built into us that lets loose something glorious. Sing and respond to the love of Christ. And lastly, love others by entering their desolate world to share with them this love of Christ. The model of Christ leaving the safe for the suffering of leaving the majestic for the ordinary is a model of us entering into the pain and suffering of others in their world. We start with that in the church. The reason you need to be in a missional community because you cannot enter into the suffering and struggle of others unless you're in their midst. But also those in your workplace, office, neighborhood, family. Because they are like lost sheep going their own way. And you and me, we are the body of Christ. We are sent into those dark places with the gospel, with love. So responding to this astounding, astonishing love is to confess our boredom, find comfort, respond with song, and love others just as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. We're astonished, Lord, we find ourselves here in this room loved by you. And Lord, for those in this room who are either bored with the love of Christ or they don't believe it, I pray that you would break through and help them to be astonished and overwhelmed by the love of a Christ who would leave the glory and safety and majesty of heaven to enter our world and suffer for us and take our sin and, 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 and become unrighteousness for us so that we could have the righteousness of God. Lord, I pray that you would convert hearts warm hearts to the truth that's in Jesus. Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers here who faithfully labor and serve and, and sacrifice and, 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 and each one of us have our level of, of suffering. Lord, I pray that they would find comfort in the love of God. 
the love of a Christ who would come, and Lord, that we would trust the will of God that this will all turn out for good somehow. And Lord, I pray that we would sing and, and, and uh, just unleash our souls in songs about the love of Christ. And probably most important, Father, may we enter into the, the suffering and the ordinary of the people around us, whether they be people in our, our church or people in our community that need to be loved by, by Christ through us. Lord, unleash in us a love for those in suffering and need, we pray. All this because you came to us. All this because you came to redeem us. All this because we rest in the promise of an ultimate restoration when you come again. Thank you, O love of Christ, for coming to us. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.